Welcome to Respond to Resilience, along with my co-host, Dr. Stacey Raymond. I'm David Dashinger. According to a 2018 poll of the IAFF, exposure to trauma has led to numerous mental health issues among firefighters. 19% of firefighters reported experiencing suicidal thoughts as a result of their job, while 27% admitted to job-related substance abuse. The poll also found that 81% expressed fear of being seen as unfit for duty if they sought treatment, and another 71% said they had not used treatment services provided by their department. In this episode, we'll be speaking with Doug O'Rourke, Director of the Connecticut Firefighter Peer Support Network, and our topic will be peer support in the fire service and first responder mental health. We invite you to like and subscribe. Our YouTube channel is Responder Resilience. Our Facebook page, Responder Wellness, Inc. We're on bbsradio.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our website with all the past episodes is respondertv.com. We'll be right back to speak with Doug O'Rourke after this. In this family, more of us die by our own hands than by the hazards of the job. In this family, up to a quarter of 911 dispatchers have symptoms of PTSD. In this family, our mental health and wellness are in crisis while responders are quietly suffering. In this family, many struggle with job-related stress, burnout, trauma, sleep disruption, substance abuse, and marriage problems. In this family, we can help the helpers with vital information and resources, resilient strategies, and success stories of overcoming the obstacles. In this family, no one is alone. Welcome to Responder Resilience with co-hosts, retired Lieutenant David Dashinger, Dr. Stacy Raymond, and Bonnie Rumley, LCSW EMTB. And we'd like to welcome our guest, Lieutenant Doug O'Rourke. He's been a member of the Hamden Fire Department for 17 years. He's a U.S. Navy veteran, a part-time farmer, a peer support advocate, and he's the director of Hamden's peer support team, as well as the director for CTFFPSN, as the Connecticut Firefighter Peer Support Network. Welcome to Respond to Resilience, Doug. Hi. Good morning, David. Good morning, Dr. Stacy. So, you know, Doug, I'd like to start off by asking you, how did you get interested in uh, becoming a firefighter? Um, as a kid, I pretty much uh, lived the life of a firefighter's kid. Uh, my dad was on the job. Okay. Um, he spent uh, 30 years on the job for a small city here in Connecticut. So um, I grew up in that public service family. Um, you know, my whole family uh, was in public service at one point growing up. My mm -hmm. uncle was a cop. My grandfather was a director of park and recreation for a long time. Um, my aunt was a school teacher. It was a very blue collar government service family that I grew up in. Um, I grew up in a smaller city department back in the day when they would have a, a structure fire, they would do callbacks of the entire department or of a shift just for a basic house fire. So I got a chance to ride along a lot with my dad as a little yeah. kid. Um, either sometimes he would drop me off at the firehouse and I'd watch cartoons for a few hours. Or on a few rare occasions, I got a chance to to sit in in a car and actually, you know, watch a fire happen. So, um, so I grew I grew up with it. Basically, growing up in and out of the firehouse is pretty much how I got involved in firefighting, and I, I knew it was something that I wanted to do from 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 a pretty young age. So. Great. Well, it's uh, it's always interesting to see how that 
affects you and the rest of your life path. And obviously mm-hmm. this has taken you into uh, you're all in with the uh, firefighting and, uh-huh, and uh-huh. beyond that. So um wanted to ask about that too. Like what kind of got you interested in the mental health aspect and the peer support aspect of uh, the firefighter community? Sure. Um, you know, I, I haven't been around that long, but I've been around long enough uh, since getting hired in 2005 that in 2005, there really wasn't much at all for mental health. Um, you know, the best thing you had in 2005, if you had a really bad call, was hopefully a good fire officer would call you up the, sh- the day after your shift and check on you to see how you're doing. Um, you know, as far as um, getting involved in it, my shift, my platoon in the Hamden Fire Department did a very deadly uh, call a couple of years prior to me getting hired. It was a father uh, with two children and they, they died. They perished in a house fire right around the corner from, um, from our firehouse. And I remember the guys from my shift kind of going by that house and talking about that day like, like there were ghosts surrounding them all the time. That's the best way I could describe it. You know, and their eyes would get large and, and they would just uh, talk about it like, yeah, man, that was a really bad day. And then there wasn't really much after that. And so I, not knowing anything about mental health, I knew something was wrong. I knew that those guys did not get the proper treatment that they needed. Uh, they didn't have any resources at the time. So that sparked my interest right away. And then, of course, as a young fire officer, you know how it is, David, when you go to your first couple of uh, pediatric deaths or your first couple of codes or your first Uh couple of deadly Uh car accidents, uh, you know, then you then then it hits you and you're like, wow, I think I might need a little help after some of these calls as well. You know, right. And that's that's a key point about, um, you know, when you're in that uh, leadership position, um, you're you may be the person that you're people are looking to for answers or help when something like that goes down. Do you feel like, um, are we preparing our leaders well enough in terms of the resources that they need to help their, uh, their members with mental health issues? Um, are, are we doing the most that we can right now? Absolutely not. Uh, we have a long way to go, especially here in new England. Uh, we have ripped the bandaid off, so to speak mm-hmm. in terms of exposing it to people. Um, I think most people in the fire service, I'll at least speak for here in Connecticut, know about peer support and they know about mental health. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the, prob- the problem is translating from what we need into getting buy-in from the administrations and the fire department. It's a very difficult thing. You need training dollars. You need, you know, extra money in your budgets to be able to implement these types of things in fire departments. Um, so we, uh, I think everybody's aware of what we do, but we don't have a, a solid annual or or semi-annual regimen in terms of mental health training and resources that we should be doing for these fire departments yet. So we have come a very long way. We have a very long way to go. Do you think it's because it's a generational difference? Uh, because command staff tend, you know, obviously they're older, more experienced and whatnot. And, um, you know, the tactic uh, perhaps that they were uh, used to is just sort of suck it up, you know, and carry carry on. Yes, I, I do think that's a piece of it. Um, I do, you know, we are we're at a pivotal moment, as you both know right now, where we have mass retirements going on right now in the fire service. And so we have uh, some guys from the old school that are still kind of there. And uh, it doesn't make, make them bad incident commanders or bad bosses. They just didn't, right. they, they didn't understand what mental health was or, or having these types of resources available were back when they got hired in the late 80s, sure. early, early 90s. Right. And, you know, the guys that got hired in the late 80s and early 90s, 
early 90s are now the old school guys, right? Mm -hmm. uh, e even if you got hired in, in the late 90s or early 2000s, I'd say you'd be considered old school at this point. Yeah, um, easily. You know? So yeah, I, de I definitely think there's a generational difference um, you know, in, in terms of kind of sucking it up and, and, and you know, not doing what you need to do for people, you know, so. I unloaded 32 years of emotion. This job isn't a joke and it can hurt you. How does yoga or meditation help with that? Coming to terms with who you are. You know, nobody calls us because they're having a good day. It's really the suicide that becomes a huge issue. People are more trustworthy with the dog. Sleep deprivation helps them either be better or worse. Completely secretive when we started this. So it's pretty much taboo. Take care of the people next to you. First responders really being open about what they're struggling with. If we know that, let's raise awareness. Brings you together to talk about it, and it tells you you're not alone. So how did um, you form Connecticut Firefighter um, Peer Support Network? Like, how did that come to be? Sure, sure. So uh, a friend of mine from Brantford Fire Department, uh, same last name, no relation, Craig O'Rourke, <laughs> which people get really confused about that. <laughs> um, Craig O'Rourke, who is now a captain with the Brantford Fire Department. Um, in 2015, you know, Craig was the one who actually formed the Connecticut Firefighter Peer Support Network. Um, in 2015, tragically, uh, Deputy Chief Ron Mullen um, perished from suicide in 2015, um, and it sent shockwaves, obviously, through the Brantford Fire Department. Um, it sent shockwaves through the state of Connecticut. I mean, I was blown away when I heard it. I went to the University of New Haven for my, for my bachelor's degree in fire science, and Ron Mullen was, a, was an instructor of mine. Mm -hmm. He taught uh, mm -hmm. Arson 1 and Arson mm -hmm. 2 at right. UNH, um, and he was a fireman's fireman i mean just the type of guy like if you watch backdraft again he would be in that movie that type of guy you know he was just an amazing guy um and when he when he uh committed suicide it was just terrible for the Brantford fire department terrible for the fire service community in connecticut and at the time um they're really you know the peer support concept was just starting to come to connecticut and come to the northeast but it hadn't hadn't come into fruition yet um, so, you know, as Craig describes it, a lot of people reached out to Craig and a lot of people reached out to the Brantford firefighters, but mm -hmm. back mm -hmm. to what Dr. Stacy was saying a few minutes ago, they were kind of like, yeah, thank you so much for your help. We're all set. We got this, mm. we're, you know, we're good to go type of thing. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and I think they realized very quickly, you know, weeks down the road that they were not good to go, that their mm. members were severely impacted by, uh, chief Mullen's death. Um, and at the time that is when, uh, the East Hartford fire department and chief Oates, who were uh, the originators of the first peer support class that came to Connecticut that I know of anyways, at least up in our area. Um, they had a, uh, a class uh, taught by the FDNY, FDNY Counseling Services Unit, which I actually uh, attended that class as well. And that was literally weeks after uh, Chief Mullen's death. Mm -hmm. um, shortly mm -hmm. after the class was over, um, a bunch of us got together and we were like, we need to bring this down to our end of the state, you know, meaning New Haven County and Fairfield mm -hmm. County and right. try and try and start something. We, we, we didn't know much about what we were doing yet. Um, we knew that we had mental health training, you know, three days of mental health training. It was fantastic. We were like, man, we have to do something. So we just literally, you know, Craig and, and many of us formed a chapter and then we, we got bylaws and we figured out the rest as we went along. But the most important part of it was we, that we got a network in place to, to be able to help other members right away. 
And uh, so given that you're on a, working on a statewide basis, how do you respond when there's a call from an agency that needs your help? Right. So the main way that we respond right now is we have a GroupMe app. And on that GroupMe app, all of our members uh, have access to the GroupMe app. And uh, usually the way it works is somebody will uh, will put a post up about, you know, th- you know, this fire department had a pediatric death last night mm. or this volunteer fire department had a, you know, a triple fatal last night or there was a fatal fire in, in such and such department last night. And so we respond to the GroupMe app. And what we we'll usually try and do is get at least um, three peers available to respond to that department, obviously upon the request of, you know, the incident commanders and the chiefs of that department. Um, right. We don't, we don't obviously just show up without being invited. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I haven't, re- I don't remember having an instance where we weren't invited. I mean, really nobody's going to turn away resources at this point. Right. You know? um, so, and then we also work closely with Fairfield uh, County trauma network. And so if we need to go past the peer level and into the clinician level and get other experts involved, such as, you know, comfort dogs and that sort of a thing, then we at least have other resources that we can reach out to those folks so that they can help us out in that department as well. That's great. Fantastic. And so who makes up your team, uh, this this uh, network that you, is it just your department or are neighborhood uh, departments joining as well? Sure. Any department in the state of Connecticut is welcome to join. So far, we pretty much have uh, mostly only career departments. There are several volunteer departments that have joined our ranks in the last year, okay. right, um, right. but mostly career departments going all the way from Manchester, Connecticut, all the way down to Stanford, Connecticut, which is uh, you know a pretty big area to cover. Um, in right. addition to the peer support network, what we also do is we support local peer teams in each fire department. So um, we, we advocate that each fire department has their own peer support team. So you have your own fire department peer support team, and then you have the greater state peer support team as well. So um, we also help those uh, local peer support organizations get formed. We have SOPs, you know, that we have for some of our other own departments. So we, it's, it's a matter of like sharing information, sharing documents with people mm-hmm. like, hey, this is how you know, in the Hamden Fire Department that we started our peer support team. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it, we got help from other departments. For instance, our SOPs were taken off of Phoenix Fire Department's SOPs for their peer support team. And then we, you know, kind of changed a few minor details in there to be able to go to a smaller city fire department like the one that we have. So in addition to that state team, we also try and, and help and advocate and and structure the local support uh, peer support team so that they can function on their own without us unless they need us for a large-scale incident. Well, that's a fantastic service that you're offering. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm curious, like, what are some of the incidents that you've responded to to assist the departments with? Yeah, the the one that comes to mind uh, is Firefighter Torres, uh, Rico Torres' death in New Haven Fire Department last summer. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. That was uh, pretty tragic. Um, You know, he obviously died in a house fire. Um, you know, trying mm-hmm. to save one of his colleagues. He was very young. He had three years on the job. He had a baby at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a very tragic death. Uh, you know, that was one of the most recent um, incidents that come to mind. Uh, the New Haven Fire Department um, needed our help uh, in such a big way. Um, and what we did was extraordinary. What our members did was going above and beyond the call of duty. I mean, we were providing peer support to the New Haven Fire Department off and on for almost three months. You know, it wasn't mm-hmm. just it wasn't just showing up at the, at the firehouse the week after his death. We were there for when the funeral happened, when the parade happened, when uh, NIOSH came in to do their their fatal fire investigation. 
um, and when OSHA was there and when NIOSH was there, we sent members down because those members who were on ship with him, had they had to recreate that house fire in order to do that proper investigation. Right. And that mm-hmm. was, I didn't even realize how traumatic that could be because, you know, we don't, fortunately, we don't have a lot of line of duty deaths around this part of the country, but that's a very traumatic, you know, uh, piece of the puzzle when you have to go back and recreate the scene and, and, and you knew that one of your coworkers on your shift died that day, you know? So, um, mm-hmm. you know, so that's, that's yeah. the most recent one that comes to mind. We've done many pediatric deaths and, and car accidents and, you know, that sort of a thing where we just show up or, or a fatal fire death. Um, obviously you guys being in, you know, in the Fairfield County know about the, the, the Stanford Christmas fire where the, where the five people died, including the kids, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and so that's kind of how, you know, peer support and, and Fairfield trauma came to be. And it's right. out of that. That's how we were born as well in Connecticut, you know. Fairfield County Trauma Response Team is a nonprofit alliance of mental health professionals dedicated to helping first responders heal from trauma, tragedy, and stress. We help as they manage community crises and the everyday demands of ensuring public health and safety. Established in 2011, FCTRT was formed in response to a call for emotional help from the Stamford Fire Department after a traumatic fatal fire. Less than a year later, the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting occurred, and members again served the first responder community. Most recently, COVID-19 created a need for our support. We provide free educational presentations, pro bono sessions to deal with community disasters, and an extensive referral service to trauma-informed psychotherapists. If you're a responder in Fairfield County and need help dealing with duty-related stress, please reach out to us so you can continue to do the job you love. Visit our website at fctrt.org or find us on Instagram at FairfieldCountyTRT. Any other um, situations like someone's having a problem with substance abuse or, uh, yeah. you know, mental, other mental health issues that you guys will be a part of? Sure, sure. We have um, we have gone to several departments, mine included, and brought people to 24 hour treatment facilities. Mm-hmm. Um, we've helped. Uh, um, I'll, I'll use the word deliver, deliver people, uh, you know, under the cloak of darkness, meaning, you know, we don't right. advertise it to people. We, we just would like to pick them up and a bunch of us uh, will get in the car with that person and make sure they're safe and bring them to, you know, the nearest treatment uh, facility. Um, as you both know, there are there are a few treatment facilities here in the Northeast that service first responders, cops, firefighters uh-huh. um, and EMT paramedics. One of them is uh, is Marworth down in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Right. Um, another one was Brattleboro Retreat up in Vermont. They are, I'm not sure what's going on there. They were not, COVID kind of messed their situation up. Hmm. Um, and then there's also obviously the IFF Center for Excellence, you know, um, right. a little bit south of us. But we have uh, brought members to, you know, either dry out, um, you know, and some some members have mental, mental health issues and not necessarily substance abuse. That's a, a little bit of a roadblock that we've ran into because most of these treatment facilities are, are set up pretty much primarily for substance abuse and not right. necessarily just for mental health. So that is something that we need to work out in the future. We do have members that have severe PTSI um, and they, they may not necessarily be a drinker or a smoker or do any types of drugs and, but they are, you know, severely mentally compromised. So that's something that right, we, right. another, another um, obstacle that we have. 
Right. In that case, um, probably just outpatient referral is uh, your best bet with somebody who is comfortable and skilled with working with first responders. Sure. That's where so. Fairfield County trauma comes in. And, you know, we work with them and mm-hmm. say, what kind of intense therapy sessions over the next couple of weeks can we do with this member? Can we do, e- <laughs> can we do EMDR? Yeah. And, you know, um, are there any types of alternative treatments where we can do where this person can get the mental health treatment they they, they need, but maybe not necessarily go to a full-time facility for that. Right. Right. Do you um, do anything with uh, CISD critical incident stress debriefing? Are you guys trained? Do you, did you, do you set that up for a department if they need it? Like, how do you handle that? Sure. Um, This has been a a topic of uh, much debate um, in the, in the fire service. And I'm sure that it's, it's not just in the fire service as well. Um, You know, peer support, was kind of born out of a sense of uh, many members from the past feeling that CISD uh, was not doing the job. Not that the members that did CISD were not good people and not that they didn't know what they were talking about, but the concept of CISD wasn't always working very well. For instance, the fatal fire with the children that I talked about in my own department, those members had a CISD very shortly after And from the members describing what CISD was, they were kind of, they felt like they were being forced to kind of talk about the incident when they weren't Uh. ready to talk about it, you know, and, and, you know, get into a circle and kind of tell us your feelings right away type of thing. And, and, uh, you know, and we, we also had, I, I was also in several CISDs for bad incidents that we happened, you know, had in our fire department, say from like 2005 to 2010, 2012. And so I think CS, CISD, um, it's kind of born again, but it's born again in a, in a different form, meaning we do a form of CISD for these departments. But what we do is we usually wait 24 hours or more. We usually go down to the department. Yeah. Sometimes we find that's better if we go down there two or three days after an incident, maybe when absolutely that's maybe, the, you know, when they're back on yeah. shift again. Sorry, go ahead, Stacey. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it kind of it aggravates me in that I think some um, departments have just kind of thrown together their own CISD and it's not really the Jeff Mitchell model, right. which um, I was it's trained in. And I know, you know, some of the uh, other clinicians I work with were trained in and that is uh, it's a model where you're not forced to talk. If you want to talk, you talk, you know, it's voluntary. You wait a couple days to mm-hmm. kind of let the um, feelings kind of settle in, percolate, you know, initially you should do a diffusing yes. right away, you sure. know, which is sort of just like the, here are the facts of this um, critical incident, just so everybody's on the same page um, information wise. In some cases, people want to talk at a diffusing, but it's not right. necessarily encouraged, but Debriefing is really supposed to be voluntary as far as what you share, um, because otherwise it can be um, really upsetting for those individuals that, you know, um, you know, have some intense emotion about the the incident. Um, so, yeah, it's really is the CISD being run correctly. That's really my pet peeve. So sure, sure. I feel the same way about it. Um you know, I think that it's it's meant to be a very good thing, but I but like you said, it has to be properly implemented. And you know, absolutely. We, you know what we find when we go do peer support in in sort of a CISD model like that a few days afterwards is uh, we kind of blend into the background. We kind of have coffee with the guys. We don't 
go right in there, you know, charging and like, okay, guys, let's get around the coffee table. We have to talk right now. Right. That. that doesn't yeah. work out very well. Yeah. You know, um, we go down there and we have coffee. We might bring coffee and donuts. We say who we are and where we're from, what department we're from. And we kind of just try and blend in with the firefighters and see how their morning's going and seeing what they're talking about. Because the last thing they want to be doing is forcing, getting forced to talk. Correct. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I find that that model uh, works out really well. And, you know, there, there are many members and departments that are both old and new school that do not want to talk at all. Matter of fact, they uh-huh. look at you like, what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> you know, um, we get that all the time. And, you know, I also find out, though, that many of those members will call our number a few days after we were gone, even though they have the attitude of, what the heck are you guys doing here? And they mm-hmm. might call us up and say, hey, um, I need to talk. <laughs> you know, all of a well, sudden. Well, because there's that, out. there's still that stigma of being vulnerable, right? Kind of raising sure. your hand and saying, I'd like to share. I mean, that's really not what first responders do um, mm-hmm. unless they're really comfortable in the situation. So yeah. I think they're, you know, with the debriefings that I was a part of and the people that didn't talk, um, they certainly were t- were influenced by what other people were sharing, and they got a lot out of, you know, hearing about how other individuals were affected. And then, yeah, you do have those individuals that are quiet during the diffusing or the debriefing that reach out later because it's one on one, it's private. They don't want it to be public that they that they need to talk. So there's no. that reluctance, right? And sure. that's okay. Sure. I think that's great. And, and, you know, they just want to know that you're, they they just want to know that somebody is there a lot of the time. They just need to know that, you know, if somebody, if they need to reach out and talk to somebody, somebody is there. I mean, I remember when I had my first pediatric death and we had, you know, back in probably 2005, 2006, and I had a good officer that did call me probably a little more than 24 hours later and check on me to see how I was doing. But I remember that first 24 hours and I had a baby at home at the time, you know, we had our first child. I remember feeling very, not sad and depressed, but just like really confused the next morning. Like, how am I supposed to be feeling right now? I know there's like a little bit of a hole inside of me right now, but how am I supposed to be feeling right now? I think I feel a little bit disappointed and depressed, but I'm not sure. And I remember thinking to myself later on in the day, man, I hope somebody reaches out to me. You know what I mean? Like, I I hope somebody, I hope somebody from my, from my department calls me to check. I almost wanted somebody to just, I just wanted to know that somebody was there in case I needed to call somebody. You know, I, and, and I think that's what we do for right. peer support for these guys. Um, they just want to know that if they can reach out to somebody many times outside of their organization, right? Because a lot of times they don't want to talk Correct. to people with inside their organization. Yeah. They want to talk to somebody who's not in their immediate chain of command, somebody who's not in their platoon, somebody who's not on, on the job with them, but who understands their language and who understands, you know, that they don't have to explain this, you know, what a fatal fire is six times sure. over to somebody. They just want to know that they can reach out to somebody. Right, right. That is so you know? comforting. Um, and, and that's the message I think that we have to get out there, that um, there are resources. There mm-hmm. are resources because there's nothing worse than feeling alone with whatever it is you're struggling with, PTSI, um, depression, alcohol, whatever it is. And then to feel um, hopeless that this isn't getting any better. And then, you know, I think that's why there has been such an issue with suicide, right? If we can just spread the word that there are resources and there are safe places to go to talk about what it is that you're going through, you're not alone. Just think of how many people 
won't think about killing themselves, you know, because they feel like a, a, a failure or they feel that uh, they've lost their edge, they're weak, whatever they're thinking about themselves. So I think, you know, we're making a lot of progress with mental health. We have a long way to go. But one of the biggest messages is that, you know, there are people you could talk to and uh, you don't have to struggle with this alone. Absolutely. And I think it's a matter of uh, getting buy-in from the administrations is, is, is the next big piece of the puzzle that we need to do. Many administrations are very open to it. Um, you know, it has to become part of the culture in your department. It can't be it can't be this outside thing with these outside volunteers that only come in when bad incidents happen. It has to be just like we have SOPs for rapid intervention or how to hook up to a standpipe in a, in a high rise building. We have to have SOPs for how to handle mental health emergencies, you know, and I think we should go a step farther than that. We should have mental health check-ins. I know many PDs do this around, around the country. There should be mental health check-ins once a year where you just have somebody in your office to see how they're doing. Hey, how's everything mm-hmm, going? Mm-hmm. Is there anything we can do for you? Are you, are you, right. liking, are you liking the job? Have you had the resources, mm-hmm. you know, that you needed help with over the past couple of years, you know, that type of thing. So getting these administrations to not only buy into the process, but continually do it on a, you know, on an annual basis so that it's, it's in the front of everybody's mind all the time. Great points. And I would add to that, you know, that we prepare our officers and our leaders with those resources. So they're familiar with them. They know what they do, when to call them, um, to have them, you know, just like the SOPs and the uh, skills that we learn as firefighters and fire officers to make it one more tool in the toolbox. That's, you know, ready to go without having to scramble when somebody's having a problem. Sure. You know, David, from being a fire officer, and I just became a fire officer in the last few months. What a big impression you have on your crew, especially younger members on your crew. Yep. And, you know, they pay, they pay attention to the way that you do things and uh, not, not just how you do things on the fire ground, but how you handle um, your mental health emergencies, how you handle routine emergencies and how you handle personnel matters. You know, and this fits into that same box, you know, where as a fire officer, you know, you don't just have to have the tools to be equipped to go into a structure fire. You have to also have to have those tools to be able to handle mental health emergencies and and know your members and know what they're going through. You know, exactly. isn't just for the um, critical incidents or the bad calls. I mean, peer support is also there for marital issues, you know, right. and financial issues, um, ha- um, children issues with kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's a that's obviously a huge problem in the emergency services. Uh, you know, I know that the police officers go through a lot with that as well. Um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot, there's a huge divorce rate within our yep. business. That's that's mm-hmm. not a secret. Um, there's a lot of mm-hmm. substance abuse and there, and financial issues. I mean, who isn't, who, who isn't going through any type of financial issues right now in 2022? I mean, things cost a lot and mm-hmm. everybody's feeling the crunch of it and the pain mm-hmm. of it. And, and then the overtime, and like you said, working too much and the burnout from overtime and the burnout from work sure. and all that stuff plays into all that, you know? So, um, 
that you're right that peer support is much more than just major incidents. It's it's helping your incidents on a regular basis, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, and right. because these are these are these are Dr. Stacy, you know this better than I do. These are the the little telltale warning signs before a major problem with substance abuse or before suicide. You know, these little things, if they're not handled, um, you know, right away, they add up to yeah. really big things. Like Dave and I are taught from being a fire officer, as soon as you have an issue on your crew, you have to, you have to address it right away. You can't let it, you can't let it, um, you know, don't boil, let it fester. Don't let it fester. <laughs> don't let it boil it over. And the same thing happens for a basic, I wouldn't say basic, but you know, a divorce or, you know, a major financial situation. These aren't, aren't really basic things in, in a member's lives. And the more these things pile up and they go and they get shoved into that little tube, that invisible tube in the back of your, in the back of your head, you add the financial problems or the marital sure, yeah, problems right, or, the, right. or the kid issues. And then you add on a few dozen fatal incidents that you can calls, or, or right? really yeah. bad incidents. And that's when these things really start to boil They really over. do. And that's when suicide and substance abuse, unfortunately, happen at that point. Mm -hmm, yeah. mm -hmm. um, well, Doug, this is a... I think this is an interesting t topic and conversation, and I want to just go a little deeper into it. Um, so let's say as a fire officer, we, ha we have a member on our crew who's obviously going through something, they're suffering in some way. How can, how can we effectively listen to them uh, when they're going through that painful experience? Sure. Uh, being a peer support person, uh, it's not rocket science. It's not a technical qualification that you have to have. Right, it's right. Turn, it's, it's just like they teach us in preschool. Turn on your listening ears and listen. Uh, you know, um, when you're providing peer support to somebody, you know, obviously as a fire officer or even as a senior firefighter, getting that person uh, separate from the crew is the number one thing you need to do. Hey, you know, behind closed doors in an office or maybe even for a cup of coffee after the shift gets over. Mm -hmm. Hey, let's go, mm -hmm. let's go out and get a cup of coffee and let's, and let's talk. And as a peer support person, um, you are there to listen. You are there to listen and empathize with that member is going through. You are not there. Uh, you know, we are not trained clinicians. We have clinicians that we can go to yeah. if, it, if it goes past the peer support um, part of this part of the process. But you're just listening to the person and just, you know, giving them positive body language. Like you are, you are very interested in what they're telling you. You're not yawning. You're not checking your phone. You're not, you know, <laughs> yeah. returning, you're not returning text right. messages yeah, or just being present. Just being, being present yeah. and listening. Right. Yes. Thank you for putting being present and listening to the person mm -hmm. and just, you know, and there are certain things that you, you, as a peer, you need to listen to certain things. If somebody, you know, a red flag needs to be raised in your mind. If somebody mentions that they are drinking too much or if they're, you know, Hey, I'm at the bonfire every night on my nights off and I'm, and I'm putting three or four whiskeys a night away. And or if they're not mm -hmm. sleeping or if they show up the next morning and they're sleep deprived and this happens for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. And that's those, those right. are things that those are things that, you know, as a fire officer, instead of going right to the what are you doing? You know, you're messing up model. A better way to approach it might be, hey, let's go out and get a cup of coffee in the morning. Are you not available in the morning? You have to bring your kids to school. How about we meet for lunch the next day? And when you meet for lunch right. with that person or meet for coffee, you just listen to what they're going through. You, you know, the biggest thing I tell people is you might be a talkative person. I'm a talkative person. I love talking to people, but you mm -hmm. can't be a topper. Don't be a topper when you're listening to somebody. You know, you have to, you know, as firefighters, we tend to, 
Um, some of us tend to hear somebody's story and we think we have to top that story with a better um, story. Oh, you went through this fatal fire. I went through three mm-hmm. fatal fires in the same period of time. Or you went through this, you know, multi-car accident. Well, I went through 10 multi-car accidents in the last five years. You don't know mm-hmm. what you're doing, kid. You know, you've got to get that, that mentality, that fire service ego mentality out of your mind when you're being a peer. And you just have to be humble. You have to have humility and you have to turn your listening ears on and you have to listen. And when they're done speaking, don't be a topper. Don't try and top them with right. the stories that you have. Right. You know, don't, don't, try and, don't try and immediately relate to what they're going through. You should be like, well, yes, so, you know, oh, you think you, yours was bad. Mine was worse. You should hear right. what happened to me last year. We're probably doing that yeah. to, you know, just relate, get, to just get a yes. relatable conversation going. But yes. I think one of our challenges just culturally is not really knowing what to say in a lot of situations, whether that's, you know, a death or um, some horrible tragedy or just a moment when somebody is really in pain, um, you know, like not knowing the right words to say is difficult. So we probably start talking about something we are, is in our comfort right. zone. Like, you know, I, I did this. It was kind of like what you did. And um, that's, that's something I find challenging personally. I have like two suggestions. One is, um, well, when I um, had, when I went through to, and I'm not speaking as a first responder, I'm, I'm, I'm giving like an example of what a first responder could say. When I, you know, was on my first um, pediatric fatality, I know that I felt really sad and, you know, I had trouble sleeping or I felt, I went home to my kids and I felt guilty because my kids are alive, but that kid perished in the fire. Um, So opening the door by being vulnerable. Like if you actually have had a similar experience to, you know, uh, a fellow firefighter or first responder um, that went through, um, you know, a similar experience, just opening up yourself and saying, this is what I went through. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the other, the other suggestion I have is if you can't necessarily relate to a call that they um, that they have just gone through, but it's really rocked their world, you could say, "I can see how how um, you know you, you seem really tired, and you know that you're not sleeping, and that kind of made that makes sense to me." Or um, I've noticed that you've been isolating. You know, you're not really your ch- chatty self. You know, so you just make observations yeah. about what you're noticing about them, not to make them paranoid or feel like there's a spotlight on them, but to say. I noticed that there's something different about you. Yes, yes. And I did you like know? the point that you brought up, Stacey, about, um, you know, relate, you know, maybe sharing a relatable story. What I found works best in that instance is after, you know, I wouldn't say after, but at some point after listening to the member for a little while, mm-hmm. you know, what I like to say is, um, you know, I had a similar incident like that happen to me. If you'd like, I'll share that with you. Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, I went through a similar fatality or I went through a similar divorce or I went whatever the topic is, you know, I, I'd love to share that with you if you, if you want to hear it, you know, that way you're, you're able to share your story with them, um, you know, and how it affected you that you see, like, if you can be vulnerable and share that, then it kind of gives them an opportunity to say, yes, you know, I I felt really sad too, or I felt really angry that that drunk driver killed that car full of teenagers right and as firefighters we we can relate very well to that type of situation because on the fire ground when we're at the firehouse one of the best ways that you learn when you come into the business of firefighting is by listening to uh other crews that have been through that similar situation before in the fire Mm -hmm. ground right Mm -hmm. like uh you know hey uh we went through a fire in this building five years ago and we really messed up the host stretch and we we didn't do our pre-planning properly or or whatever 
Um, here's how we're going to do it. When we get the next fire in that building, here's how we're going to do better. You know what I mean? And you listen yeah. to those, you listen right. to those stories mm -hmm. of those firefighters and how they did things. Well, the same goes true for, for peer support as well. You know, here, here's how I, here's, here, here was my experience, you know, um, you know, these are some suggestions I have, if you'd like to hear them, if not, or maybe mm -hmm. just sharing your experience and, and people, people learn from that. You know what I mean? They, they really respond well to that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Our mission at Responder Wellness, Inc. is to subsidize or provide free of charge safety equipment and wellness services to first responders, including police officers, firefighters, EMS personnel, and 911 operators throughout Connecticut. Resources include scholarships to train new EMTs, a responder and veteran-only AA group in Danbury, Connecticut, as well as police vests, a fire and EMS boot program, yoga classes, gym memberships, and t-shirts. The founder of Responder Wellness, Inc. co-leads a peer support group sponsored by Fairfield County Trauma Response Team. Responder Wellness, Inc. is a nonprofit 501c3. Find us on the web at responderwellness.org, on Facebook at Responder Wellness, Inc., or email us, responderwellness at gmail.com. Responder Wellness, Inc., putting responders first. And how do you vet your peer supporters, or how do you, is there a training that they go through? Yes, there is. So um, we have a, uh, you know, we've worked mostly with Fairfield County Trauma uh, Recovery okay. Network. Um, All right. And there is usually once a year or type twice a year, a basic mental health for first responders class. Um, in Hamden, we prefer that our, our peer support members, we have uh, eight members on our peer support team in Hamden. Um, and we prefer that they at least go through that, that eight hour mental health for first responders class. Mm -hmm. um, you know, after they go through that class, it's a matter of uh, sharing with them, hey, here's what worked and here's what hasn't in Hamden. You know, here's how we prefer that you do things when you do peer support. Um, we prefer that they go to a train the trainer class, but those classes haven't been happening very often with COVID over the last couple of years. We're sure. now just we're now just starting to do classes again. So um, at the very least, you know, go to that mental health for first responders class is at least a way to understand all the stuff we've just been talking about. And also maybe how you can how you can be a better peer support person. And then and then, you know, the head of your peer support team should sit down with a new member and say, you know, here's what we've been doing. Here's some of the incidents that members have called us for or that we've mm -hmm. been doing the last couple of years. Here's what worked well. Here's what mm -hmm, has not. Mm -hmm. Here's what's kind of being expected of you. We're going to activate, you know, maybe two members at a time for a bad incident type of thing. Just spell out to them how the peer support team um, activates. And on top of that, obviously, it uh, helps to have an SOP or an SOG for peer support and how you're going to run your peer support team within your department as well. So now I'm going to make a plug for all of us uh, retirees out there and ask you, uh, <laughs> do they play a role in, in uh, providing peer support? Do they come into play with your teams? They do. But I'll be honest with you, David, we haven't not done a good enough job of getting our retirees involved. And that's something that's on the docket for the next year for our peer support team. Uh, we've had many members um, lead the peer support team in my particular department in the last year and also on the state Connecticut firefighter peer support team due to retirements um, and that sort of mm. thing. And some members get burned out after providing peer support for many events. So you got to, sure. you, right. you know, you have to replace them with new members. Um, mm -hmm. and, and because we've been so busy and swallowed up by active duty incidents and trying to figure that out, it hasn't, unfortunately, hasn't provided us a lot of time to be able to get to the retirees, but 
Yeah. I swear that I swear that's on the that's on the docket, you know. And I and think I know, that would it'd be great he, for both fire peer support teams and police peer support teams because yeah, um, yeah. last I checked for, for both fire and police that first year out, you know, that just kind of redefining oneself, reinventing oneself. Who am I now that I'm not a first responder? I think giving them um, an opportunity to support younger, active firefighters and police officers, it gives them some meaning. They can take their experience and like pass it on to, you know, younger members. I think that I, I would hope that all departments, you know, get their retirees involved. The, the, um, and the, you know, unfortunately, the suicide rate is really mm-hmm. high that first year out, both for police and for fire. And so that, hence the the um, the importance of giving them a role and a purpose. You know. Yes, I have heard you speak about that, uh, Dr. Stacy, with some other um, podcast interviews that you guys have done about that. And that's something I never even really uh, realized that the first year out retirement, and it makes complete sense. You've been yeah. spent your entire life crafting your entire life to be a first responder right. and then doing it for 20, 25, 35 years. And now you're not going to be riding the fire engine in the police car anymore. Now you're not going to be doing the adrenaline pumping stuff. You know, now you are supposed to, right. you know, what, you know, be a farmer or, <laughs> you know, or do but something. you've got decades of experience. Right. And yes. And yes. so you have a that's lot tough. to offer. You have a lot to offer. And yes. so that's why I think retirees should think be invited to be a part of, it's something we teams. need to do more. Retire, yeah. and, and along with that, our our dispatchers and EMS personnel, AMR, you know, the different ambulance companies that we have mm-hmm. here in Connecticut and around the country. Uh, we need to span out to not just include fire and police, but EMTs, paramedics, and dispatchers. Uh, I know that dispatchers. Uh, it's something that we're trying to figure out how to do over the next year with dispatchers in our own town because dispatchers go through a lot as well. You know, mm-hmm. so they're on the other end of the line when somebody is literally screaming oh, to their life. You know, so, um, that, you know, and along with that, retirees, that's a great point. We need to get more retirees involved in the peer support process for sure. Before we wrap up, I want to just check in with you and see any other stuff you wanted to talk about that we didn't cover already. Um, just making sure that all the first responders out there that, that listen to this podcast, hopefully, you know, spread your podcast because it does great for members uh, around the country. Um, and also, um, if you don't have a peer support team, in place in your respective organization. Uh, it's something that needs to happen uh, forthwith, as we say in the military. Um, it, is, it is as important as having an SOP or an SOG to do just about anything else that you do in your organization. Um, it's not something that should be thought of as an afterthought. Um, it needs to be right up there with, you know, anything that you do in the police or emergency services, you know, um, fire departments, especially. Um, and you know, there are resources out there, you know, um, we have a Facebook page, Connecticut firefighter peer support Facebook page here in Connecticut. Um, you know, there are, there are plenty of resources in your own state. Um, another great resource that I forgot to mention earlier in our podcast is the Illinois, uh, firefighter peer support network. They are a very tight organization. They're a very, very large organization. And we actually flew um, a team in from the Illinois Firefighter Peer Support Network. Uh, it's a fantastic organization. They brought in several clinicians as well as uh, fire lieutenants and fire captains um, that came in. Uh, we flew them in. Um, they were on the cheaper side, which was great. They, they didn't cost an arm and a leg. And 
the Connecticut firefighter peer support team brought the Illinois team in to do a three-day train-the-trainer. Um, and they are a very extensive network with an amazing website. Um, they have a 1-800 number, I believe, um, for firefighters needing peer support. Um, and if you live in that area of the country, obviously take advantage of their resources. If you don't, um, calling them up and saying, hey, I am in such and such state. Mm -hmm. uh, this peer support thing is completely new to my organization. Um, I have no idea what I'm doing. Can you help? Um, wow. those, That's great. those folks are amazing individuals. They will send you mm. SOPs. They will send you documents. And um, I'm sure that they probably will fly out for a relatively cheaper cost um, to your respective state. I know that Connecticut was not the only state that they came out to. They were on a tour, so to speak, of tour. a half a dozen other states right. um, around our part of the country. So if you need to fly them out and, and have training, they're a fantastic organization. I don't know what, what's happened with them you know, during and after COVID, but I would assume that they are a, a very strong organization still. And they, they helped us out a lot. you know. So definitely mm -hmm. use them as a plug. Um, and obviously... You know, uh, my contact information, I'm sure David will leave in the podcast, my cell numbers and my email addresses. Um, I'm open to anybody and everybody around the United States of America who wants to call me up and say, hey, how do I start a peer support group in my organization? I, just mm -hmm. just help me out and I can send you the, the documents and, and talk to them. I, my door is always open to be able to talk to people. You know, sometimes you just need to speak to somebody who's been doing it for a little while and, and get their perspective, you know. Yeah, that's a huge service, and you're offering uh, just for someone that's uh, or department agency that's looking to get started. Um, all those resources you just mentioned are incredible, Doug, and uh, so is the information that you just shared about the Connecticut Firefighter Peer Support Network. Uh, you guys are doing really crucial stuff and mm -hmm. uh, so much needed. So, thanks for all you do, and thanks for being with us on Responder Resilience. Thank you, and thank you for all the clinicians as well, Dr. Stacy. We wouldn't oh, be able sure. to do it without you guys for sure. <laughs> We're happy to help. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. It was a fantastic conversation. Cool. Our pleasure. We invite you and remind you, like and subscribe. We're on YouTube, Responder Resilience, on the Facebook page, Responder Wellness, Inc., also Apple Podcasts, bbsradio.com, Spotify, and check out our website, respondertv.com. Till the next time, stay safe, be kind to yourself. Take care.